I'm going to try to read this fast. It is 30 verses, so I'm sorry you're having to stay standing so long. (laughs) So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, Jesus has been uh, addressing people in this passage that we've been in last week and this week. He's been addressing people who have been following him. And his following has grown over the the months preceding this. And you can kind of see, if you look at his life uh, and his ministry, you can kind of trace the fastest growth And the largest growth spikes are immediately occurring after his most audacious and amazing miracles. 
uh, his latest one was Jesus fed a group of somewhere around 20,000 people. Can you imagine that? 20,000 people he's fed with one little boy's lunch, five small loaves and two fish. He took that small lunch and he used it to feed that entire crowd, 5,000 men plus women and children out in the wilderness. And after that, a large portion of that crowd didn't return back to their homes and they were captivated by what Jesus had just done. And they stayed in order to follow him. Now these people, they're just, not just casual followers. They have shown real energy and effort in following him. They've come out to hear them in the wilderness with no food, and they've stayed for a long time. They've left their everyday duties in order to come out and listen to him and to follow him. And then whenever he, overnight, whenever he disappears, they don't realize yet what has happened, but whenever he walks across the Sea of Galilee, they wake up, they realize that he's gone. They not only seek him out, but they make efforts to cross the Sea of Galilee, to cross the large lake, and get to the other side. These are people that this passage calls disciples of Jesus. It may not be disciples in the way that we often mean disciples, but these were disciples in the, means that, in the terms that they were followers or a student of somebody. That's what disciple meant. If you were a disciple of somebody, you were a follower or a student of someone. And what that means is these people who were following him had officially recognized him to be a rabbi or a teacher, a guide in life and faith. That's why they were following him. They're called disciples and they're literally following Jesus around. Yet, after they make all this effort, leave their everyday duties, follow him across the lake. Once they get across the lake, Jesus tells them, well, he criticizes them for why they're actually following him. He tells them they're following him for the wrong reasons. He says, look, you had your bellies filled. And so you're following me with a premise that I can continue to fill your bellies. That's why you're following me. The, The great point wasn't the, the, the reason they were following, they weren't following him because of, he was the, they saw the miracles that he was doing as signs that he was the son of God, the Messiah who was sent. The, the great point that they're following him wasn't uh, that, that, hey, this is the son of God. They were following him because here's a man who can feed us out of nothing. That's what they're saying. Here's a man who can feed us out of nothing. Their point wasn't in following him was God himself is in our midst. So here we are in the middle of Jesus' discourse or speech or sermon to this crowd. And what he's doing is he's talking about what it really means to be his disciple. He says, to be my disciple doesn't just mean that you follow me around hoping that I'll do something cool for you. If you're going to follow me around... My cost and the expectations I have for you are incredibly high. The cost, if you want to follow me, is incredibly high. And the expectations I have of you to be my disciple are incredibly high. But the prize is unimaginably great. The cost is incredibly high. 
Jesus is continually laying down, reminding the people that are following him. For whatever reasons they're around, he's consistently reminding them, look, it's going to cost you to follow me. Unless you hate your life. Unless you leave father and mother and brother and sister, you have no place with me. Count the cost to follow me. The cost is incredibly high. The expectations are high, but the prize is unimaginably great. Now, up to this point in this discourse, in this speech, in this sermon, Jesus has been talking about these people and their desire for material or food that perishes. He says, that's why you've been following me. You want your belly spilled. They thought, they thought it would be great for Jesus to provide them. If they could follow him, then he could provide, if he could provide for us that giant crowd food out of one little boy's lunch, what could he do every single day? He could provide food for us every single day. He did it with the loaves and fishes. Then in the same way that Moses, whenever he was leading the people of Israel, manna rained down from heaven for the Israelites to sustain them in the wilderness. Maybe we can follow him and he'll do the same for us. What Jesus is saying, he says, don't follow me because of what you think I can give you. Follow me because of who I am. I don't just give you what will keep your will keep you alive, will keep your breath flowing in and out and keep your heart being. I'm not just giving you food that will be uh, fuel for your material body. He says, I'm, I would give you, he gave them that, but he says, I am the one that can make you truly alive. I'm not just trying to keep you alive by giving you food. I am the one who can make you truly alive. No longer a prisoner of this life that is perishing. You know what, that's, if you are here today and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've never experienced the new birth, whatever else may be going on in your life, your life, every, all the arrows may be seem to be pointing up or maybe they're all pointing down or maybe you don't know where you are, but if that is who you are today, I'll tell you what position you are in. You are a prisoner of this life that is perishing. Hear Jesus say, hear the language of what it means to truly be a follower of him. There's a a big passage that was read, so we're going to hit this middle section again, verses 50 through 58 of John 6. Jesus says this. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Remember, he's pointing back to manna that rained down from heaven. He says, but this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am. He's sounding like God. I am. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh? his flesh to eat. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, hear this, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood. Do you hear the the shocking parallel that he's drawing here? 
Can you imagine hearing it for the first time in this crowd? Can you imagine hearing that today? Jesus is saying the same thing to do to you today. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no place in me. You have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread, the manna that your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Here's what Jesus is saying in that. Jesus is saying that following him means radically identifying with him. To follow Jesus means to radically identify with him. It means to radically reorient your identification, who you are, what you're about, what your past is, what your present is, what your future is, what your career is, what your choices are, who belongs to you, what belongs to you, who your wife and children, what they mean to you, what you're going to do with your future, who you're going to marry, who you're going to leave, anything in your life. He says you have to radically reorient your identification, what you identify yourself as around me, in me. And he's saying that we should radically reorient ourselves with Jesus because he has radically identified with us. We should radically identify our lives with him because he has radically identified his life with us. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, begotten, not made, who by his power and by his word created all that we see and upholds it all by the word of his power. That eternal God who stands in unimaginable glory, who dwells in darkness, who is the holy, 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 who the angels and creatures who have been around him for eternity, when they see him, they again cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, they fall on their face and worship that God who for eternity has been seen and known and gloried in. Never, they never get enough. They are never not overwhelmed. They are continually overcome by his glory and his beauty who Isaiah, when he saw him in the temple in the train of his robe, filled the temple, he said, woe to me. Woe is me. For I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, for I have seen the Lord of hosts, the Lord of glory. That is the eternal Son of God, and he took on flesh. He became a human being. That God who cannot be contained by eternity took on the limited body of a human being. He was born. He lived. He suffered. He identified with you in your humanity. Can you imagine that should blow our minds? He identified himself with you to that point. Not just say, hey, I know what you're, hey, tell me what it's like to be a human. I, I care for you. I'll listen to you. He says, no, I'll step into your shoes and experience what it's like to be afraid. I'll experience what it's like to be hungry. I'll experience what it's like to suffer. I'll experience what it's like to be alone. 
to be lonely, to be forgotten, to be anxious. I will know because I took on flesh. He radically identified us that he experienced suffering like you and I experience. He experienced loss. He cried at deaths. Can you imagine? The God that the angels cry, holy, 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 experiencing suffering. He was a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. He identified with you, not just humanity in general, but you in your particular suffering. Every single one of us in this room experienced, have experienced, and are experiencing deep suffering. You have been wronged. You have made bad decisions. You've experienced the limitations of life. The years pass and you realize my body is decaying. It doesn't do what it used to do. He didn't just experience humanity's general sufferings. He experienced your sufferings. You who think nobody can relate to the things that I have seen and done and experienced, he knows. He didn't just watch it from heaven or watch it from afar. He experienced suffering as a human. That's how far his identifying with you goes. And he identified with you and me by taking on death itself. The thing that stands above all our heads and threatens all our lives. The thing that we all face, but none of us know how to face it. None of us know how to approach it. He took on death. He took on humanity and suffering and death. He radically identified with you. And he says, because of that, we are to radically identify ourselves with him. That's what he's talking about when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. We identify with him by believing in him. He said back in verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And this is what it means to believe in Jesus. I need to stress this really hard. Because we live in the United States where the gospel has been has proclaimed freely and many people associate with Christianity and consider themselves Christian. We live in the middle of the South where we are Christ-haunted or church-haunted. Many of you, many of us grew up in church, but it would just happen to be the affiliation that you happen to be a part of. Like, I happen to be a Panther fan, I happen to be a Clemson fan, and I happen to be a Christian. Just kind of the, who I am. Part of, just part of like a, the, the makeup, the puzzle that makes up who we are. But believing in Jesus is, does not mean believing things about the Scripture. It doesn't even mean believing that Jesus was the Son of God or he spoke truth. It doesn't even mean believing that he died on the cross and rose again. It means believing and actively trusting in him that he died on the cross for you, that he is your Lord and Savior. 
It means to place your identity fully in him alone. That says, I don't know whatever else I may be, whatever successes I may have had, whatever failures I may have experienced. The most profoundly identifying thing about me is that Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord, and I belong wholly to him. To trust in him alone, to accept the loss of all things, all things, anything, to know him. To follow him alone because of who he is. The figurative language here can throw us off, right? Just like it threw his followers off. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's shocking words. It's hard to figure out what, Jesus, why are you talking like this? What are you doing? And that's the point. It's meant to be shocking. Because the radicalness, is that a word? Probably not. The radicalness that Jesus requires to follow him is absolutely shocking in its demands. If you don't see your need for saving, do you see your need for saving? Do you see your need for someone to help you with your life? Does someone to save you from the, your own sin? Does someone to save you from the wrath of God that is justly above you? If you don't see your need for saving, if you don't see your need for his blood to be shed for you instead for, of your blood to be shed for you, and for his body to be broken instead of yours, if you aren't desperate for his saving and upholding and constant keeping of you, if you don't long to know him personally, to know him for yourself, to have him be your God and king, if you don't desire for him, to, for, for, you don't desire to be his and for him to be yours more than anything else in this world, if you don't desire to be his and for him to be yours above everything else in this world, if you aren't willing to let him supplant and displace every other affection and every other desire, then this is what Jesus says, you have no place with me. You have no life in you. That's what true faith is. Wholehearted, leaning upon him, trusting in him, and saying that he is life and breath to you. To lean upon his broken body, broken for you, and his shed blood, shed for you, so much so that it's like you are consuming it as food. That's what it means. And we do, don't we? The picture that we partake in when we come to the communion table, the bread and the juice, it's not just a nice little tradition that you do at church. It's a radical sign of a radical thing that has been done for you and a radical affection that you have for the one who did it for you. You are partaking of the broken body and shed blood and said, this is my true food and this is my true drink. Who all that he is for me and to me, this is my life. This is my life. Nothing else. Though the world around me cries out and says, find life here. I say, no, this is where life is found. Though my heart, part of me cries out and says, no, go this way. Find life here. Find happiness. Find something here. Say, no, this is where life is found. 
It's a radical sign of a radical thing that's been done for you and a radical affection that you have for the one who did, who did it. Jesus' burning love for you must produce, it must produce a burning love for him in return or you do not understand who he is or his body and blood for you is not your food and your drink. You have no part in him. It's intensely personal. It's intensely personal. Are you following Jesus for any reason other than who he is? Or are you even following him? Are you actively rejecting him? Saying, though you broke your body and you shed your blood for me, I'll try to find my own way. Though you're stuck going around in a circle. Do you follow him for what you hope to get from him? Maybe out of a fear of eternity? Or a sense of obligation? Well, I guess this is what I've got to do. Or because you think that he'll owe you something if you follow him? That's not truly following Jesus. Following Jesus is a radical change of identity to being his. Because he is God. He is king, and he is the only savior. Therefore, he is my king, my God, and my only savior. Following Jesus means a radically new identity. It means identifying radically with him, and it means radically breaking with the world. It means a break from our former identity. Any sense of who we are, any sense of who you are that doesn't flow from Jesus is a false identity. But we will build our sense of identity of who we are from any number of things. And for many of us, it's so intrinsic to who we are that we don't even realize them. It's my intelligence, your intelligence. It's your strength, your strength of will, your strength of body. Your family, maybe your family history, your current family, your attractiveness, your character, your performance, your ability, your potential. Many of us wrap in so intrinsically our identity around those things that we don't even realize that's what we're basing our sense of who we are on. But do you see how following him this deeply and this closely and this strongly displaces all those false identities? It forces us to break from them. My intelligence? What intelligence do I bring to the God of the universe? I don't care how much you know about science or whatever field that you have expertise in, you do not know more than the one who created it all. Your strength He's the almighty God who at one point expels, is holding the universe together, ever expanding it, knows every hair that's on your head and your head and your head and the stars in the sky without exerting any amount of effort. Your family? 
What does your family compare to him? Your attractiveness? Your character? How does it show up against the one who is holy, holy, holy? Your performance? When that light shines on us, man. It changes it, doesn't it? Your ability? Your potential? Accepting his body and blood broken and shed for me means that I accept that I am sinful and have placed all kinds of idols before him. He calls us to break from our former identity. It causes us to break from our faulty logic. Do you hear that Jews grumbled and they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? Part of the brokenness of mankind is that we trust too much in our own logic. Think of how much we've learned in science and mathematics. Think of all that we've accomplished in technology and the arts. But a result of our great fall is that we trust too much in our knowledge. We think too highly of our ability to understand great things. And we're blind to our faulty thinking about God. Many of his disciples said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? They were grumbling and said, his disciples were grumbling about this and said to them, and he said to them, do you take offense at this? This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. What Jesus is saying is that we have to break from the world's way of thinking in order to follow him. And the only way that we can do that is to be taught by God. We have to be so much so that we have to be brought or led to Jesus. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's humbling. It's humbling because you have to break from your wisdom and the world's wisdom around you. You have to come to him as one who is to be taught. And that's a destroyer of our pride. And many of us would rather clutch to our pride than to follow Jesus. Is that you? Would you rather clutch to your pride and your sense of self-sufficiency rather than follow him? We have to break from our materialistic society, our materialistic security. Most of us either trust in or pursue materialistic security. And you may not even realize it. But you trust in your paycheck, or your bank account, your fridge and pantry being full, or the government, or parents, or somebody who can come in and bail you out if you get in trouble. None of those things are bad. If you've got a great paycheck, and a great bank account, and a full pantry, and fridge, and people around you who will bail you out if something happens, hey, that is awesome. They are terrible things to price your security in. Jesus, his call cuts across all of that. And what he does is he calls us to follow him no matter the cost, to consider all that we have as his, not to live for security in this world, but to live for the world that is to come. He calls us to give and to live radically generous lives. And that flies in the face of our materialistic society. 
He calls us to break from materialistic security. And he calls us to break from the pressure of the crowd. After this, many of the disciples turned. They turned back and no longer walked with him. And Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? After many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. It's a great cost to following Jesus. He never sugarcoats it. The way is wide and the gate is wide that leads to destruction. The way is narrow and the gate is narrow that leads to eternal life. Many are called, few are chosen. And the greatest pressure that you're going to feel in your life is the pressure of the crowd, the wide way and the wide gate pushing away, away from the hard sayings of Jesus, away from radically identifying with him and breaking from the world. And the only way to break away from the push of the crowd that's going the other way is that the Father is drawing you and you respond and you let the promise of Jesus to be eternal life for you be the biggest thing in your life. Now, what are the, we went over some reasons, whatever he's saying, like, you've got to radically identify with me if you're going to follow me. You've got to radically break from the world if you're going to follow me. But what are the things that hold us back from doing that? What are the things that hold you back from following him that way? I'm speaking to Christians and non-Christians here today. Jesus told a parable, many of you guys know, it's the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. A sower went out to sow, to sow the seed, and he spread out the, the seed, and he spread it at first on the, on the road, and it landed on the road. The Lord was hard, the seed couldn't get down into the dirt, and so immediately the birds of the air came and they stole away the seed. Some other seed he spread upon rocky ground. There wasn't much soil there, but a little bit, a little layer of soil. And because it wasn't deep, it immediately sprung up and then the sun came out and scorched it because it didn't have much root, didn't have much soil, didn't have much moisture. The sun came out in the heat of the day and it scorched it and burned it up. Some other seed fell among other plants, other weeds. And as the weeds grew up, they choked the life out of the, the seeds. Some fell among good ground, and they returned 30, 60, even 100-fold. Look at how that follows in this crowd. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to radically identify with me because of who I am, and you've got to radically break from the world around you. And some people heard it, and they said, that's a hard saying. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. It's hard for me to picture what my life would look like. It's hard for me to, to, to think that that's exactly, exactly what God wants from me. And they turned away. Satan came in and stole the word. Some of them, they cared enough to follow him. They cared enough to follow him through the wilderness. They cared enough to follow him across the Sea of Galilee. But when Jesus says, hey, if you're following me, it's not just for me to fill your bellies, it's for you to worship me as King and Lord. And they say that you need me to be your Savior as well. 
It followed for a while, then it got too hard. A little bit of suffering, a little bit of persecution, a little bit of having a hard Monday, a hard week, they went the other way. Then he asked his disciples, his apostles, after that crowd had left, he said, are you going to leave too? Peter spoke up and he's like, look, I love the subtext of what he says. He says, basically, look, if we could go anywhere else, we would. We don't yet fully understand what you're about. We don't fully understand what you're calling us to. But we know this, you have the words of eternal life. So we're sticking around. You know what that is? That's faith seeking understanding. Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. I don't yet fully understand what it will cost me or what you want from me. But I can't go anywhere else because I'm convinced that you alone have the words of eternal life. But look at what happens with that same group of apostles who stick around with Jesus, though they don't understand. And they keep failing and they keep misunderstanding Jesus and they keep messing it up. And even Peter, who made this great declaration, tries to cut the man's ear off when they're coming to crucify the Lord. He turns around and denies him three times. I mean, they are a royal mess. Look at what happens on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. Hey, we don't know where else to go. We're just sticking around because you had the words of eternal life. They're scared. They just, he just denied Jesus a couple of weeks earlier. They're waiting. And all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon that upper room, do you know what happens? All of a sudden, they catch fire. They catch fire and all of a sudden, Jesus' claims and his, his calls upon their life make sense. They had sacrificed to stay with him, they, but they were still fearful. They lacked joy, but all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them, fear is cast out. They no longer are cowering in the upper room. They come out onto the streets. They boldly declare the word of God, not caring at all what it's going to cost them. It's costing them immediately. It's costing them in their family relationships. It's costing them in their reputation. It's costing them their careers. Who knows what it's costing them? They say, we don't care. We know that he is the glorious one. All fear was cast out. Love was spread abroad in their hearts so much so that they sacrificed all they had for each other. Not anyone had any need in their midst. Love cast out fear and they sacrificed themselves for their brothers and sisters in Christ, new brothers and sisters in Christ. Possibly and probably and certainly people who had been their enemies the day before, all of a sudden they felt love spread abroad in their hearts. They're instantly filled with joy. They rejoice and sing. They continue day after day rejoicing with glad and sincere, simple hearts. They gladly suffer pain and persecution. Gladly suffer it. When they first encounter the persecution and they are beaten, they go away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. 
Look at the difference that happens when God's Holy Spirit is poured out on people who say, we are following you no matter what the cost, but we are seeking understanding. And he pours out his spirit upon them. May Jesus, this is my prayer, may Jesus pour his spirit out upon us. May he pour his spirit out on you. May he pour his spirit out on you to cause you to see that he is the only one worth identifying with. And he is worth breaking from everything else that you've wrapped your life around. All your security, all your comfort. May he be poured out upon you, upon me, that, that you may be delivered from your love of this world that creep in to try to choke out the life. May his spirit be poured out upon you that you may be delivered from fear and anxiety and doubt. May you overflow with a sense of his love. May his spirit be poured out upon you that you may rejoice with exceeding joy. I'm going to pray and we're going to open the table. The broken body and shed blood for you. The one who angels sing, holy, 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 but yet his body was broken for you. And you're here. You're not a Christian or you are a Christian. I put the same call out to you. What is keeping you from radically following him with all of your heart? from radically identifying yourself with him and radically breaking from this world. What cares of this world are choking you? How's the enemy trying to come in and steal the word from you? Cry out to the Father today that he may draw you to himself, may do a special work in you. That's what we ask of you, Father. We ask that you would come, that you would minister to your people, that you would call sons and daughters home as we celebrate communion and worship you. That you would reveal to our hearts that Jesus is better than. And finish that sentence however you like. Jesus is better than. May you renew in us by the power of your Holy Spirit a desire and a will to follow you with all that we have, no matter what the cost, but to do so with great joy because we have found eternal life and communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.